Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. On the Sporting Couch with Gary Bloom. Hello, welcome to On the Sporting Couch, a programme about good mental health in sport. I'm Gary Bloom, a sports psychotherapist, and that means I work one to one with all sorts of people, but often sportsmen and women who are struggling with conditions like underachievement, depression, anxiety, and of career issues and addictive behaviours. I'm doing the project to try and widen the understanding of mental health issues in sport and beyond and give a flavour of what goes on in a session between the therapist, me, and the client, the person who today is on the sporting couch. Meet Mark Klattenberg, one of our most successful football referees ever, but whose career has had some of the most dramatic ups and downs ever experienced by anyone who's refereed professionally. He officiated in his first Football League game at the age of 25, a post-war record, and by 2006 had moved on to the FIFA list at the age of just 30. But in 2008 he was suspended from refereeing after allegations about his business affairs and personal life. He appealed, but still served an eight-month ban. His career was at its height in 2016, when he took charge of the FA Cup final, the Champions League final, and Euro 2016 final. Time for the talking to stop and the action to start. Mark Clattenburg waits for the signal from the floor manager to get the 2016 Champions League final underway. In February 2017, he gave the Premier League the red card and took over as Saudi Arabia's head of refereeing, a move that almost certainly cost him a place at the 2018 FIFA World Cup. Welcome to On the Sporting Couch, an in-depth psychological profile of one of our best and most controversial referees ever, Mark Clattenburg. I would never have wanted to be a referee. I wanted to play for my favourite football club. I wanted to wear the number nine shirt. I wanted to score the winning goal in an FA Cup final. Did you ever, 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 ever think... You know what? I'd love to referee in a big game. No. Why? I had the same feeling as you. I wanted to play football. I think there's a path when you know you're not going to reach being a professional footballer. And yeah, I went and I had a, a good chance to be a professional footballer, but I wasn't good enough. How did you know you weren't good enough? 
I remember playing against Watford in a trial match for Millwall and I got absolutely killed by this winger and I came off the pitch and that was the day I realised I thought I'm not good enough for this level. So I'm good, but I wasn't good enough for this level. Which position did you play? Right back or left back? I played everywhere. (laughs) But what was funny was I started off as a centre forward and then eventually I went all the way back to being a defender, full back in the end. People say, well, why did you go into refereeing? It was was a chance to still be part of the game, but actually think, you know what? I could actually stand where I could have wanted to be as a player and it's the next the best thing that you're actually going to be on the same pitch mm. refereeing professional football but you know yourself and I've I've stood on enough touch lines watching Sunday League with my own kids the the abuse that referees get I think if you'd have said to me look Gary I'll, I'll, I'll jettison you in to a Premier League you can go straight to Old Trafford you can go straight to Anfield but you know and I you and I know that it doesn't work like that you're going to have to start on the muddy pictures of the wherever and work your way up and that's the bit I could not have ever cope with but it's good grounding from coming from the northeast working class people it gave you a chance to be able to build your management skills and you had to go into survival mode because many of the players on a Sunday morning would have been alcohol from the previous night so that was my survival mode I knew when to press the button and not to press the button what was the worst incident ever when you were uh, refereeing at that stage? I should have sent a player off. and I should have sent him off. I should have sent him off three times and I was scared. Because? He was going to fill us in at the end of the game. <laughs> Would you? I eventually sent him off and he said, I'm going to wait for you. Lucky enough, he didn't. But for the rest of the game, I was all over the place because I just thought, this is the, the my survival mode is, how do I get off this pitch and get to my car as quick as possible? Because you feel you feel threatened, you feel bullied. That's where I'd have said, you know what, this is not worth it. This is not worth the aggravation. How do you even referee a game when you're looking over your shoulder at the guy that you've sent off, thinking, is he going to fill me in at the end of the match? But why let one bully spoil your fun? I enjoyed it. That doesn't sound like fun to me, Mark. But it was because that's one incident. So what about the five ten I did afterwards, where I enjoyed it? I got maximum satisfaction. I got coaches coming up at the end of the game and saying Mark, you did a really good job and okay, I was lucky because the three seasons the first three seasons I was a referee, I got promoted it was all the all terms of three class 3, class 2, class 1, so I was class 1 at 18, so I was ref, I was run, being an assistant referee, semi-professional in the North in the northeast in the Northern League which was a strong league so at 18 year old I was an assistant referee so I'd got through them sticky moments, but the, yes, there was the sticky moments and the abuse, but it wasn't to that level. Yeah, I got also, if I was out on a Friday night with me friends, I can remember getting abused in a, in a toilet, thinking I'm going to... What gonna happened? Be, I, because he wasn't happy from a couple of weeks ago that I'd refereed him. So he'd, he'd, he'd recognised you yeah. as, as the referee that refereed him two weeks before. He spotted you in a, in a public place yeah. and he was going to come after you. Yeah. But lucky enough, it got diffused. But that's when your survival mode comes in. You talk through it. You, you rationalise and say, yeah. Sometimes you meet them in the middle. One of the things that you used to try and diffuse is, you just, I'm sorry, I, I had a minger that day or I had a bad game. I didn't. But if he heard that, he, he, where do you go with that? Your defensive mode comes in. And yet there's what you're describing here to me 
is a psychological defence system. You might not recognise it yeah, as such. Yeah, no, wait, that's what I was talking about with Chelsea Tottenham. Mm. Because you, you, when you become experienced and when you when you think about how to referee, it's always survival. Whatever you, decision you make on the pitch is the best survival to get off without any criticism, without any controversy, without anybody saying Mark Clattenburg's at fault. Because if Mark Clattenburg's not at fault... You're the best referee in the world. I'm going to spin this on its head, Mark. That is not refereeing by the letter of the law. That's just, that's Mark Clattenburg's survival mode. But Gary, what is the letter of the law? You know that this much better. I, than I'll, 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 and I was a damn tr- I was training to be a lawyer. I stopped with one year left. I should finish it off. But you have a set of rules. I can interpret them the way ever I want to interpret them. A good lawyer will do exactly the same. A good referee does. So whatever you want it to be, I can make it be to suit the game of football. Whatever, however I need to manage it, I can press a button and say, I need that at this moment. For example, if I apply the literally to the letter of the law, that's a yellow card, that's a yellow card, that's a yellow card, that's a yellow card. That's not what happens in reality. Because it's, and it's a bit like a judge, he doesn't hand a six year sentence for the same offence than for the, for the first 10, for example, theft, they're thieves. Others might accuse you of being a chameleon, yeah. of playing the game in the way that you wanted to play, depending on the circumstances. And there was a belief that you allowed Tottenham to self-destruct in that game against Chelsea. Yeah, and that's uh, and I've never denied what I'd, what I'd said. And what, 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 what happened on that pitch was for the best of the game. And you go back to what was said about five minutes ago. I used the word survival mode. What was the best technique I could show in that match without being the centre of attention? Because one of the issues that I had, I had a perception which I could never change. Yeah, people say I was a maverick. I wasn't. Because I can can tell you things that happened that made us a maverick because people allowed it to happen where other referees get protected I didn't but I did things for the good of football I want sometimes I was accused of refereeing like a football fan because I loved the game I wanted the game my games to be the best it could be and I wanted people to talk about the game and I did take risks I took risks for the good of the game I played advantages with probably stupid advantages which led to goals that's good for the game I didn't kill Tottenham that night by sending three of them off. Here's an example this week. Michael Oliver has been accused of spoiling Buffon's fun. If if Juventus went go on and win that game, see, he didn't award the penalty. Juventus win the game in extra time. Nobody would be talking about it because he didn't affect the match. It's because it, because you affect the match, even if you're right in law. Look at the look at the. Look at the reaction it's had. How would you feel if your wife was was abused in a way that Michael Oliver's wife has been abused? It's happened. It's happened. I just never talked about it. It's happened but, to you. Yeah, of course. Your what? Your wife? Yeah. But what? 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 I? What? I? I was a bit more cleverer because from I've been a bit more experienced. Michael's thirty three. I've been thirty three. Social media wasn't really around when I was thirty three, so I've seen how it's come about. I've stopped my wife taking pictures when we're on holiday. Why? 
because then I'm just letting the world know that my house is up for sale <laughs> to a burglar. <laughs> so I stop how me what shirt my boy wears. For example, imagine if he goes in training and wears a Barcelona shirt and he's caught in training and then I'm refereeing Barcelona. Same for Michael's wife, Lucy, putting a comment on about the Bernabeu. It's trivial, but it's amazing that small detail how people can use against you and that's one of the hardest things for referees to deal with is the aftermath everything around the game of football is easy it's the aftermath subscribe to this podcast on your podcast app and never miss an episode so your father's David Clattenberg and he is the bus driver for Sunderland Football Club yeah so I'm the middle of the of the three boys so my older brother he was the he was the first football fanatic. War War was loved football. My older brother didn't play, and me, my younger brother did. Uh, but my older brother loved Sunderland, or my dad, I think, probably felt sorry for him, so he took him down the Sunderland route. Um, and my brother used to to go with him on the team coach uh, to go and watch uh, Sunderland matches. So that's how he ended up following Sunderland, and then my dad took me to go and watch uh, Newcastle. So we always had that Sunderland and Newcastle connection so was there ever a, a tension between Sunderland and Newcastle it sounds like it in your family no because it, it's respect no there's no hatred it's you know you'd have a bit of banter if Sunderland or Newcastle won um, but that's all it was it was just it was just banter so um, mum Janet David is your father were you close to mum and dad yeah till the end not not so much now, my mum, because of probably what happened when we were teenagers. But what happened when you were teenagers? Just the way the family, the way my mother was, uh, always gambling debts. So and it was your mum who liked a bet? Yeah, we all did. <laughs> <laughs> we used to go. We used to go to Newcastle races. We used, but it was fun. We used to love them days because the whole family used to go to the the horse race and the greyhounds. We used to have a good night. We used to love it as children. Your dad dies. Uh, when you're very young, late teens, early twenties, what effect did that have on you, Mark? In the end, probably nothing really, because you half knew he he wasn't very well, so it wasn't sudden. But also there was there was a lot of infighting. There was a there was a big fight between the family and myself. And I left home about eighteen, nineteen, and uh, it was over just something trivial. It was I was there. the problem I had was. Because my mum had gambling debts. My dad wasn't very well, so I was the breadwinner in reality, even though I was the middle one, because I was the one that was had the good job. I was apprentice electrician. I would work Saturdays and Sundays every week. So I was the one that was earning, in them days, £200 a week, which was huge money for a 16, 17-year-old boy. So I was giving it to me, always giving it to me family. And they were gambling that money? Yeah, for sure. And then when I, if I wanted to go out... <laughs> with my friends on a Friday night it was difficult to get so there was these tensions and then eventually I started being able to stand on my own two feet which were is you, what I wanted Were you cross that that hard earned money that you had earned as an electrician was, was being frittered away? No because I'd done it from 30, 12 I had a paper round and I had a business paper round so I used to deliver I had a business where I used to deliver the football pink <laughs> you know, the, the old football papers yeah. and uh I got them direct off. I never got them through a usage. I got them direct off the, the Chronicle and I was making 10 pence a paper. But I had such a business 
people were giving us for a paper that cost 30 pence I was getting a pound so if you times that by 20 or 30 people I had such a I had such a lucrative little business for a 12 13 year old earning 30 40 pound a week on his paper round but that didn't go to me that went to me mum and there was one week I think when I when I finished my paper round I had to work eight weeks without pay because my mum was eight weeks ahead in the paper shop because she owed that much money because she used to get it on she used to get the food on tick that must have made you cross at some level no, it must have done the, no the, the, I never made us cross it it actually made us proud because I wanted to look after my family I've always been like that I look after my family now that's why I went to Saudi Arabia because I want to look after I want to make the people who's in my life the easy, the easiest life it's like Claire's dad's got dementia he's going in a home I'm the one I'll be the one that funds it I don't need to but it's my responsibility well I'm just going to pick up the word responsibility why are you responsible for everybody Mark because I've probably been like that since 12 13 because I've been the one that's been able to generate I've been the one that's been able I'm the grafter I'm the one that'll get his hands dirty I was the one that was probably the clever one I was lazy at school but everybody knew my school teachers used to always say the same Mark you're a waster were you a waster yeah but then I went on and got HNDs and degrees and I should have done my law degree if I didn't go to Saudi so there's all these I've probably stuck in known when you get a bit older reality kicks in I'm going to dig a bit deeper on this responsible the idea that you somehow take over the responsibility for your family age 12 I'm really wondering where that comes from because I know you're saying that I'm the grafter I'm the one who's earning the money but that is also an emotional thing of saying actually these people need me I'm wondering who who decided that Mark Clattenburg needs to look after mum and dad and the family? Never thought about it. My dad was strict, but I had respect. And all I wanted to do was make, for example, me mum got all my money, but I could have a, I could have my little bet on a Saturday. I'd put all the, if there was five horse race meetings on a Saturday, I'd put five play spots on. So that was my day. I loved my day. And they used to take us to football. They used to feed us. They used to look after us. We never had any money. Work from a council estate. We we nearly got evicted because she didn't pay the rent. So it was, it was not a. We had the loving family. We had a close family. She give us whatever she could give us. Christmases were amazing. So we never got without. Was it a happy time? Yeah, brilliant. The best, the best ever. But we had no money. I wonder how important that lack of money has been in your life, Mark, to always look to be financially safe, whatever you do. Oh, without doubt. That's why I moved to Saudi, to make it... Because I I could stay in the Premier League for the next five years, live comfortable. But it's not about being comfortable. I want to spend my... I want to spend... OK, I've sacrificed two, possibly two years in my daughter's life. But I don't want to sacrifice any more. I want to... You want to retire early, is that what you say? Yeah, saying? I want to spend some time with my family. I want to be able to give them what they need, give them the best chance in life. But what? I want to I want to have a nice life. The problem with very successful people like yourself, Mark, is they never know when enough's enough. Have they got enough work? Have they got enough money? Where's enough for you? It's when it's, you know... I, I love doing some projects. I love working in the media. 
I like that side of it. So that's not full time. That's on a when and need basis. It keeps us interested. It keeps us current. The full time work Saudi Arabia, and eventually, that'll be the one that I'll probably say enough's enough. Once I've done what I need to achieve there, I want to change. I want to. I don't want to go there and just not achieve anything. I so, want to achieve something. So what's more important, achieving something, building something in Saudi, or is it the financial recompense that that comes? Well, it comes with both, because one one leads to the other. But I want to leave a legacy in Saudi. I want people to say, well, actually, what Mark's done is change, change Saudi referee, and he's actually built us something. Because in the past, people have gone to Saudi Arabia and not built anything. So I want to go and build. I've started building. I've gone up a couple of rungs of the ladder, I'm now wanting to climb further and I'm building step by step and that's what we have to do. And it goes back to the question who asked you before, where's the top of the ladder? How do you know you've reached the top? It'll be the moment when I want to spend some more time with my family. So when I, you know, possibly two, one, two years time, when I've said enough is enough, I want to, I want to spend the rest of my life with my family and we'll get a house built in Spain. So that's where we'll end up. So Mark's talking about retiring to Spain in the next few years. Yeah. Not returning to the UK? No. Spain's just a different life. The Mediterranean lives, the food, the pace of life. And in fact, I don't get as harassed as much. So it's less football. Um, I can be myself. So the um, idea is he could walk out in your in, out of your apartment in Spain or your villa in Spain and nobody's going to recognise Mark. Yeah, they will, but they don't, they don't seem to come up as much as they do in the UK. So it's a different way of life. And also my family's comfortable there. They, they spend nine weeks in the summer. They enjoy their life there. It's a better pace of life. Let's dive back into the past. Were you surprised by your success early on, sort of between the ages of 16 and 24? If I'm not being arrogant, yeah, yeah no. Tell yeah, me the yes bit. Yeah, because it was so quick. It was ridiculously quick. To, be, to start refereeing and be on the professional game as a referee in the eight years that that was unheard of in, in fact it was stupid because most referees didn't start till they were mid-30s did it do you any favors yes and no yeah because what i've achieved now but there were some pitfalls because i was a young boy in a man's game and it was tough and i i sunk i swum i swimmed a bit i sunk again i swim again so it was up and down at 24 it was the tough coming into a man's game the publicity I remember getting followed by the media like everything was followed every decision because I was unique I was the youngest ever football league referee 24 now that's changed because it's a young man's game but it wasn't a young man's game then referees were 35 starting at 35 I tell you what strikes me about you and I've only met you for the first time today Mark you come from a a profession which historically has been the preserve of school teachers people have come from a very different background to you grammar school boys I think you'd probably want to call them that isn't you do you think culturally you came up against a clash with the authorities of people who ran the refereeing and yourself who came from a different cultural background 100% yeah that's why that's why I've had to work even harder I've worked harder and that clash if you an example David Allery was the the head of English refereeing for the Football Association, not the PGMWL, which was the company who employed the referees. The FA was the ones that, um, from an international point of view, but David doesn't know it, but he was the one that spurred us on because his, his negativity and his 
his bullying, and I'll use the word bullying because it was a form of bullying, he was the one that pushed me to where I got because his words always stick in my mind. Which were? I don't want you to go to the next Euro. I want Atkinson and Oliver. And I went, okay, thank you. And every day I went into the gym, all I could think of when that treadmill was hurting and I was really, really hurting, I wanted to prove you wrong. Because I'd just come back off the Olympic finals. Why, why wouldn't I be? But I wasn't, the, I wasn't the perfect role model. I wasn't the person that they wanted to be. Who did they want you to be then? Um, Martin Atkinson, Howard Webb, the politician. That isn't you. No. And that's why, that's probably what's wrong with English refereeing. You need to just allow people to be themselves. Like a player. Why would you want to take somebody's nastiness out of them? And I've done things wrong. But things like the Ed Sheeran thing, that, that, that was a... Yeah. Can you explain the Ed Sheeran incident? Because people might not have heard what happened. So I was in a match at West Bromwich Albion. So the the agreement that we have as Premier League referees is we arrive at the team hotel, 11 o'clock. We travel in the people carrier from the hotel to the stadium. And then afterwards, you get in the people carrier and you return back to the hotel. Then you drive back to your home. So I took my car to West Bromwich Albion. They give us a car park pass. I got collected from there, took to the team hotel. I was at the team hotel for 11 o'clock. Travelled in together and I left half an hour after the game as planned but I got in my car and drove and that should have been a private matter between who? the PGMOL and Mark Lattenberg. Who made it not a private matter? PGMOL. Who made it not a private matter? PGMOL. You know what I'm asking you, don't yeah, you? Yeah, but I don't know. I'll just say the PGMOL. They know who they are. And they decided to leak it because they wanted people's perception of me a certain way. But they didn't do it with other individuals. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Two thousand and eight, things go spectacularly wrong, massively. And you are accused of having uh, business affairs that are not right and personal things that are not right in your life. And you you appeal, but you're still banned for eight months. Yeah, right. There's a there's a clause in confidentiality clause, so I can't really comment on the suspension but a lot of that was unfair and it was unfair because okay I made a mistake in business I did a job that somebody didn't pay us in like happens in all businesses but because people try and put two and two together and don't know the facts then I get accused of many different things plus I just split up with a girlfriend I just split with a business partner so everything in one go, I had to answer drug taking allegations, I had to answer other th- financial, and I was open. I showed them all my bank accounts, I offered to do drug tests, because I believe that if there's 20 allegations against somebody, if I can prove six or seven, and I can't prove the other 12 because you can't, then surely there must be all. Because yes, I can produce my bank statements, I certainly wasn't match fixing. Yes, I had, a, I had a, a company, owed a lot of money by, I finished the job, I shouldn't have finished the job, but I was proud. I wanted to finish the job as a, in my electrical business, a school in Pontealand, did a great job, but I didn't get paid. I had bills to pay, but I paid a lot of money out of my own, own pocket because I didn't want people to be out of money. So I did a lot of stuff myself, and in the end, it got liquidated so people could claim off their insurances. So I did the best I could do in a difficult situation. What comes across listening to you, Mark, is that you're a very proud man. And I'm just wondering whether that pride is an element of the public perception that you are, quote, full of yourself. Is that fair? It depends how people say full of themselves because... Well, I'm thinking, it's, it's about, the, like I'm a, thinking about the tattoos on your on your your arms because <laughs> you were very proud to yeah, yeah. in 2016 to do the Champions League final, the FA Cup final, the Euro 2000 final. Fantastic! But so that, do I then say? Do I then say to somebody down the street, that same person, that garage man, who's probably got a tattoo of his daughter, or he's got a tattoo of his dog's name, or he's got a tattoo of something? Because many people have tattoos. Do I then say that? Do I then say you're full of yourself? Because I don't care about them. I don't really care about I'm not one of these people who comment about people because you know what? It doesn't bother me. As long as you don't affect my life and my family's life, I don't care. Do what you want to do. It, whatever's legal. And what I've done is legal. I haven't crossed the line. I've never been involved with the police. I've never been in trouble. I've had one speeding fine in my whole life. So I'm, I want to, I never want to break the law. I've always you know, being scared of the police. I've always had respect. That's my father's built as that. But I've never criticised people. 
I had a persona on the pitch because I'm dealing with millionaires, a bit like an actor in Coronation Street. But I'll jump in there if I can, Mark, and say one of the um, criticisms, public criticisms, are you too chummy with the players on the pitch? But that's that. That's what made my life easier. Your friends are not friends. There's a cross. There's a line. What, for example, Cristiano Ronaldo did in the Euro final, tried to grab me head. That's respect. Why would he want to do that if he ha- if he wasn't comfortable? If he's comfortable on the pitch, that surely makes my life easier. Because then he doesn't get nervous, he doesn't get anxious, thinking, this referee's tough, this referee's going to do this, this. And that's what players respected me for. You could speak to many players and they'll say, actually, Mark, Mark would speak to you. I still speak to them now and they'll say, one of your strengths and Howard Webb's strengths, at least you communicated with us. One of the problems with other referees, they won't speak. But people perceive them in a different way. They'll say, "Oh, he's such a nice guy," but you don't, you don't, you don't see the real side. All you'll see is what's on the ninety minutes on the on the green bit. But why shouldn't I be able to manage the game of football my way? Because it was effective. There are two extremes here, sometimes called catastrophic thinking. If you are a referee and you're too lenient, people criticise you for being too lenient. If you're too much a stickler for every point criticise you for that how on earth do you find some grayscale that works match by match by match I thought my style but I still got criticised so there's no there's no solution what is Mark Clattenburg's style being too chummy no being, being a, a, a person who a person a player knows where he stands if he overcrosses that line doesn't matter which player it is they know they'll get they'll get punished so I'll give players a chance when, they, when they're on the border but they know professional footballer when I refereed them knew where he stood didn't matter what day of the week it was didn't matter if I had problems in my private life I still treat them exactly the same on a Saturday and that's and it didn't matter if it was a high profile player or one of the least high profile players they knew I treat them the same I wonder if that puts you in a position centre stage in a way that many people want our referees to be anonymous the old cliche says great referee you never notice them that's what my motto's always been. The problem you've got is the media. I don't want to be on the back page of the paper. I don't want to be in the paper because if I'm not in the paper, it's brilliant. I've had a nice quiet weekend. I can enjoy my weekend. There's nothing worse on a Sunday when a coach has had a or a manager has had an absolute blast at you because you know it's going to end up as headlines. Talking of managers, you've come out very clearly and said the role of the manager and the criticism of referees has definitely altered and it was part of that that encouraged you to leave the Premier League, is that fair? Yeah, yeah. because the pressure's too big. The coaches now have got a short, even shorter lifespan. Part, you know, there's people losing their jobs. Pardew, Alan Pardew lost his job a few months. There was guys losing their jobs after two months. Look at Crystal Palace coach, <laughs> lost it after what? Five, six games. So the pressure that they've, it's built up and the only way that they're not going to attack their own players, they're not going to attack the chairman, they're not going to uh, criticise their own spectators. So who can they attack? The person who cannot be protected because we haven't got a speaking part. We cannot come out on a Sunday and say, he's out of order because it's not professional. So we've got to take it and we've got to take the criticism. Should referees be allowed to answer back some of the criticisms that are thrown at them by, by the coaches and managers? No. You agree with that decision? But the body should. The so body, the, the, the refereeing body should support more. 
So you think that you're not supported enough or you weren't supported enough by the body? Are you heavily criticised or you're going through when it's when it's difficult moments and the Oba Mikel situation was uh, with the racism in Chelsea Manchester United it was an example of that. Do you want to explain the story? Yeah, it was um I'll not go into complete details, but it was a a game on a Sunday, thirty first of October twenty twelve. And uh Finished the game, bit of controversy. I sent off Fernando Torres. I could have easily sent him off in the first half for a high foot. I cautioned him, and then I, I felt he dived. I still do, but that wasn't a clever decision on the pitch because I think there was a they showed a bit of contact on his toenail, um, and he was holding his knee, which doesn't add up. But I could have been a bit more clever, especially when you reduced the team down to nine, ten men. Nine men probably would have been is probably too tough in such a big game. And I'm getting absolutely slaughtered. Oban Mikel wasn't happy. What did he say to you? He didn't say nothing. Just I don't want to really go into the actions because that was dealt with by the Football Association. Uh, he got a three-match ban. But he did come into me dressing room, and what happened in the dressing room stays in the dressing room. But there was, was heated words between you. There was more than that, but I'll leave it at that. Um, so I'm, I'm, I know. No, I, I don't really want to. I don't really want to talk about it because that was something that happened. And, He's never said anything, and I don't really want to say anything because what happens on the in the dressing room and on the pitch should stay on the pitch. Do you regret anything of your part of that, Mark? Mm, yeah, me performance on the pitch. Yeah, not in the dressing room. No, I can't. I can't control that. I, but what I can control is my performance. Could I've refereed better? Of course I could. I, there's not many games I've come off satisfied because I'm a perfectionist. Also, I want to be the best I can be. And did I want? Did I want the 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 problem afterwards? No. If I'd if Chelsea had won or I'd refereed a different way, do you think it would have been like this? Possibly because of what happened with John Terry four or five weeks before. I don't know. Because of the racism what with Anton Ferdinand. Mm. And I was the, the leading body from the Football Association. So I don't know if Chelsea were gonna go were going tit for tat. I don't know. But You think there was a vendetta against you by Chelsea football? Club? I don't know. But the allegation was made that I'd been a racist to, to Oban Mikel. I didn't know any other details. This went on for days. And uh, it was Ramirez, after numerous days, Ramirez was the one that had said I'd called him a, a monkey, which I was shocked, dismayed, because I never use that word. It's not a word, it's not a mean vocabulary, I'm, I'm a Geordie, I don't use these type of words. Do you know what, as a, as a therapist, I'm struggling here, and I'll tell you why I'm struggling, because if I had been in your position, and that had been levelled at me, I would have gone... I'm out of here. Can't, I can't. Can't. I'm. 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 I'm stopping in the end of the season, or I'm. Th I'm. I'm. I'm resigning with immediate effect. So you're going to ring up the Halifax mortgage and say, uh, Gary, uh, hello. I've got no more salary coming in. Can you help us with me mortgage payments? Because that's reality. Is that's reality? It is because the psychological pressure on you, Mark. It's irrelevant. It's not irrelevant. It is, it is because my family. Who's going to pay me? Who's going to look after the mortgage? Well, look what's happened, Mark. In subsequent times you have been offered a very highly lucrative position with the Saudi Football Association there would have been other opportunities for you that who knows in the media or whatever but why but that's, why? But that's, that, but that's happening I don't look at the future because you can't control the future all I can control is the now what does it do to you Mark what does it do as an individual when somebody is dissing you in such a, a, a an, an open way tough of course it was tough it was, but it was it was and, tough because of for example the amount of people I'd jumped on the bandwagon 
the opening days, everybody was calling us a disgrace. The media were. It all changed because how people realised. Sorry to jump in again, Mark. How does that affect you psychologically? How do you go well, home to your, your wife and, and your family? I, I never left the home for five days. I couldn't. I had journalists outside my house wanting to take a picture. How do you keep the mental toughness going? Because you've never seen a therapist. You've never offloaded on somebody. How on earth do you do that? And this is what this program's about. How do you come up with that mental toughness, Mark, when you say, this has been such a catastrophic weekend, but you know what? I'm just going to bottle it up. Because I hadn't succeeded. I hadn't reached me pinnacle of my career. And I also had a mortgage to pay. If I'd been financially secure, that's why referees stop at a, before they even get on the professional. If you're a grassroots referee and, and I'm working as a, an accountant and you're getting that much abuse on the pitch, why would you want to do it? But at least you've got something. You've got your financial. It's part-time hobby. The problem with professional refereeing is once you become a professional referee, you can't get out of the bubble. You can't. It's difficult to go in another job. There's not many guys gone into media. You've got to be unique. You get a point in your career where you've got to take the punishment. You've got to take the criticism because there's nowhere else to go. You can't just say one day, I'm going to finish because who's going to pay the mortgage? Who's I going to pay? Who's going to look after your family? Because that's what my wife's put up with an awful lot. If me being miserable on a Sunday after I've had a bad game on a Saturday, so I've got to pay her back for what she's gone through. Is it worth it? Oh, yeah, now it is, yeah. But was it worth it then? Yeah. Because walking out on the see my wife in the Champions League final in Milan and in Paris supporting us and all the wives supporting all my colleagues because we've become good friends. What an achievement. What a night. That wall stood there. That, that's the pinnacle. On the Sporting Couch with Gary Bloom. You're listening to On the Sporting Couch, a psychological profile of one of our top referees, Mark Clattenburg. Where is the pinnacle of your career? Which of those matches in 2016 would you say, that is the pinnacle of my career? Was it the Champions League final? Was it the FA Cup final? Was it the Euro final? Champions League, because I'd come off the back of the FA Cup final, which was heavily criticised, unfairly. Crystal Palace fans won't think that, but it's unfair. And there was also the FA, because of the criticism. They didn't even want to give us probably the cup final. After The aftermath wasn't nice. I couldn't wait to leave. I had to leave on the Sunday. I couldn't wait to get out of that environment. Really? Because it was an awkward environment. They made it feel... Who made it feel awkward for you? The Football Association. I'm not naming individuals. But they made it awkward. And to get out of that and then start building for the Champions League with the criticism I took to then build myself for the biggest match of my life. And I wanted to prove a point. And that was sometimes where I needed that little bit of kick. Because if the FA Cup final had went well, I probably would have went in differently. But I was that focused for the champion. My wife said something. She said, when she seen us on the pitch warming up, she said, I've never seen you that focused before. I was that focused. Time for the talking to stop and the action to start. Mark Clattenburg waits for the signal from the floor manager get the 2016 Champions League final underway. Give yourself a mark out of 10 for the Champions League final. In, this, in the circumstances, the Madrid derby, the circumstances, probably 10 out of 10. But that's the only game I've ever, ever been happy with. The rest, I've never been happy with. Euro final, FA Cup, every game. It's the only game I've ever come off and I cried. 
So seven months later, after the height of your career, the Champions League final, you turn around to the Premier League and say, that's it, I'm off. Why? Motivation. I'd achieved... I'd achieved everything I wanted to achieve at. Yeah, I could have. I wanted to go to the World Cup, but there was an offer made by Saudi Arabia, which excited us, developing their referees, putting something back to what I've achieved, give them an insight. Um, I couldn't, they wouldn't let us do both roles. We tried to come to an agreement that I could still fulfil my World Cup place, still do some Premier League games, but go to Saudi Arabia. But that, that was um, quickly dismissed, um, which meant I had to end my international career. Um, I don't regret it my last international match was Australia Brazil and MCG so it was a lovely way to finish I don't I didn't regret leaving the Premier League because it was getting harder I'd have refereed every game and it didn't matter if I'd refereed well nobody ever said Mark Clapmurky did well because everybody expected it when I did what when I did bad or something went wrong they criticised us more because people perceived us as the Champions League the best referee in the world and, and I did win the best referee in the world but people then wanted more out of you and you can't give more Had your relationship with Mike Riley been better would you have stayed? No because I had a wonderful relationship with Pierluigi Clean. I respected the man he was the one that Give us all the tools to succeed. He was the man manager that I hope I'm going to be as a manager because he he gave us. In fact, it was athlete, uh, it was Malmo against uh, Atletico Madrid Champions League. I cried all the way home on a flight. I'm right. a grown man. I thought my career was over because he, I, basically it was my own fault, but it wasn't my fault. But I'm the boss, so teams line up. Atletico have got a tracksuit top on they take the top off the tracksuit tops off and they've got the same colour shirt as me in the Champions League it's not it's not acceptable the fourth I didn't go to the morning meeting the observer did the fourth official should have checked but I'm the boss so I've got to take responsibility so Pierluigi Kilina was extremely unhappy quite rightly so the image of Champions League is embarrassing and the way he made us feel was um, my career was over what did he say to you? just on an email just damning saying it's not what I expect of a Champions League referee but then one week later appointment comes through and I wanted to die from I wanted to that was I refereed that I wouldn't be skin because I wanted he'd give us something back and I went wow I'll, I'll, I'll do anything for you but it, it wasn't like that with Mike the emotional atmosphere in this studio has just changed yeah. when you talk about the respect yeah, of, of Pierluigi Kalina for you, you somehow enter a different relational oh, level. Unbelievable! One of the nicest guys. People used to say to us, and I was, I was scared of him. Let's go back to Mike Riley. Would you ever come back to the Premier League and work for him? Never. Do you want to say why? Because it's. Uh, if I say it'll end up in the media, that's a problem. But this is the media. Yeah, right? but it's difficult because I know how you, headlines work. So I can know because people will use it as effect. It's just all I'd say in the matter is I don't have that same relationship. I never had. Um, things happened when I was fourth official, and yeah, maybe Mike didn't rate us as a referee. I don't know. 
you'd have to ask him. But I don't. I didn't feel I got the same same level. Do you think you were picked on? Because I, I wouldn't say picked on. I just think they they wanted other people to succeed. They they wanted other they wanted other referees to to reach the top. So what you're saying is the English PGMOL did not want you to succeed. I think they wanted other people because that goes back to what I said about David Ellery for the Football Association. Mm. David Ellery had a plan to have Martin Atkinson. Martin and Howard were fighting for 2012 in, in the Euro. Mark, Howard Webb went. Martin didn't. Then I came back fighting because I went to the under 20, under 20 World Cup in Colombia, did the semi-final, did the Olympic final. So I was starting to build a nice platform. Do referees get on? There's a lot of egos involved. No. Did you like anybody that, of your colleagues? No. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they've gone now. The old school have gone. Who did you so like? Who did you think we actually... Got on, we got on, I got on well with Phil Dowd. Got on well with Mark Halsey. Howard in particular. For Pete Walton, these guys. We used to have a... We used to meet up. We used to regularly get together. They helped me massively when I was a young referee, especially Phil Dowd. He was my fourth on my first uh, Premier League game. So these guys wanted help. The new generation are different. They want to look after themselves. And that that, that stems back from a conversation I had with Phil Dowd recently. Nobody speaks to him except me. Wait. Same with Mark Halsey. Because he, once you leave the group, nobody spoke to me. You the, smile, you're smiling, but I think there's pain there, Mark. No, there's no pain. It looks like pain no, to me. No, there's no pain. There's absolutely... Because I, they're not my friends. My friends are the ones that are in Thailand this week. I've got friends in the UK. I've got friends Spain. I've got friends everywhere. They're my close friends. Refereeing you couldn't trust. You can't trust anybody because they want your game. I'm hearing rumours now. I get many calls from journalists now. Mark, I hear you come back to the Premier League. Can I write? It? I'm going to write this story. And I'm like, where's it come from? And then I've got other guys from the group, the refereeing group, contacting other people that I know, saying, oh, is this true about Mark? So it's rumours and rumours and they just start rumours because everybody was interested in my life I, you know there was a fellow referee why who, can't referees get on because it's jealousy you know for example um, somebody reported us for going to a, a function on a Friday Friday evening or Friday afternoon not that I had a game on the Saturday but it's it's just everything was like what Mark's doing what's Mark doing what everybody was like wanting to, to knock us down when your time at Saudi comes to an end, would you come back and run the PGMOL if it was uh, available? The driver asked us the same question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't say never. I can't say never. I'll never referee in the Premier League. I can say that for sure. But you finish uh, with the Premier League. Yeah, I think refereeing. I'm, I'm net. I'm close. You know, I'm, I'm only refereeing in Saudi. It's part of my contract. I like this. I like the development side of it. I like. I want to help. I like the media side of it. I've got other projects. So I'm looking at other projects, still football related. I've got different um, avenues and, and I'm enjoying it. So refereeing side of it's finished. I'm not finished, but top level. I'm talking now, you could say, somebody could say, well, okay, in 10 years time, you can run the PGM well. I can't say never because then you'll hold us to that. So I'm not going to close the door on that. Would I want it? I'm not saying I will. Because in the moment, it's not in my plan. My plan is to, to develop something in Saudi, set up refereeing academies, help refereeing, make refereeing better. 
because there's too much politics. There's too much politics in refereeing and it needs to end. It needs to be what's good for refereeing. And if they did that with me, they could have got the best out of us, even better. Mark, you call yourself a survivor. You, you said that word right at the start of this programme. What are we going to be seeing in 10 years' time? Mark Clattenburg enjoying life, being able to have a beer, being able to speak. And have you survived meeting a therapist today? Yeah, I'll survive. I'll survive. I'll Mark survive. Clattenburg, many thanks for Thank being you. on the Sporting Couch. Thank you. You've been listening to On the Sporting Couch, a programme about the psychological aspect of sport. I'm Gary Bloom, a psychotherapist and broadcaster, and this programme has attempted to lift the lid on the stresses and strains of being a professional athlete or involved in the professional game. I hope the show will encourage anyone who's encountered mental health problems to seek help, and there are some useful links on the TalkSport website. Look at talksport.com forward slash sporting couch. I'm Gary Bloom, and please remember, there's no such thing as good health without good mental health. Goodbye. Find more podcasts from TalkSport at talksport.com slash podcasts or by searching for TalkSport in the podcast store. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.